want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released Abolitionist Teaching Workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their Connect With Us page. Forever 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year. Somebody said that in a conference I was in uh, last week, actually run by my guest, uh, which we'll get into in just a second. Um, but I'm out here. I'm your critical conscience. I'm your philosopher king. I bring you ill literacy, ill behavior, ill legitimacy, and most importantly, ill advised actions for social justice. Um, yo, if this is the first time that you are picking us up here on Habitually Disruptive, we are a Two Dope production, so you can follow anything that we do on social media, at Two Dope Teachers, on, where are we, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're not on TikTok because my teenager would murder me if I got on TikTok, and so that is not a thing right now. Um, and if you would like to contact us with um, episode ideas, um, you can email us teachers at gmail.com. Um, also make sure that you uh, get locked on, subscribe to this feed where you can get the Tudo Teachers in a Mic Summer Revolution Mixtape 2022. Uh, we just dropped an episode that was a collaboration between Kevin and myself, as well as Rodney Robinson and Sean Sheehan of the Teachers Caucus podcast. So we've got a lot of really cool projects going on. And um, of course, if you want to support us financially, help us keep those lights on, you can go to patreon.com slash two dope teachers. And for $15 a month, you could get a sticker. It's a really dope sticker by local youth artist Sham. Uh, really, really like it. Um, before we kind of get into today's episode, um, I do want to just give a really short trigger warning. Uh, we will be talking about cancer. We will be talking about the struggle of a cancer diagnosis, both physically and emotionally and spiritually. And so I would just say that if these, and um, also substance abuse, ideas of substance abuse will be a part of this conversation. Um, and so we know that these are very real issues that, um, that hit home for real people every day. And so we want you to know that, you know, if this is an episode where you're like, I don't know if I can do this, that is okay. Um, you got to take care of yourself. You got to know what you're ready for um, in order to move forward. Um, I do think what we have is um, an opportunity to really be inspired and to really just see um, a struggle through per through real person's eyes and um, and how they found their own voice through this. So I uh, want to introduce you to my guest. My guest is Lauren Cantel uh, of the National Network of State Teachers of the Year. Uh, we have connected through some, um, some really cool uh, equity work, and uh, it's just been really great to get to know her. And uh, Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so great. I'm so excited to get your story in front of people and support the project uh, that you are working on. So uh, before we kind of get into everything, um, you uh, were a teacher. So where did you teach? What did you teach? And what was that like? 
Yes. Um, I actually went to, to college. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Um, and then I realized that I didn't want to do that. No offense to lawyers. Um, <laughs> no, not, not at all. <laughs> But um, then I, I went back to school and got a degree in elementary education, and I taught second grade and kindergarten for seven years in Philadelphia. All right. Yeah. Um, so so you said no to law school. So yes. I'm not going to do that. Don't want to no. do it. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, taught for seven years. Um, mm-hmm. When you were teaching, um, so I guess I guess the big thing is kind of like what was it that drew you to teaching um, and away from uh, law? <clears throat> yeah, um, I think the most basic thing for me was whatever I did, I wanted to be engaging with people and I wanted to be learning from them and I wanted an element of of joy. One of my my main character strengths. Um, I'm a big nerd. I like to take all of the tests about, you know, myself and whatever. And, um, one of my character strengths, the top one is humor. And (laughs) I find kids to be the most intelligent and, and joyful people on the planet. And I thought that, um, that I would, I could do good there. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And, and it's, and it's interesting because, um, having interacted with you just through a couple of different forms through, uh, through Enstoy, um, I've, I've found you to be a person that is exactly as you describe. You're, you're intellectually <laughs> curious. You ask questions. Um, you have a great sense of humor. And the way that you view this work is, is really powerful. Um, there are those of us in this network of State Teachers of the Year, and that, that must be a really interesting world to navigate for you um, because we are, we are a curious group. Um, but people look at you and they're just kind of like, Lauren, like does everything. I got to go to the, um, teachers of the year conference and facilitate some sessions last week. And, um, and that was, it was amazing how smoothly it ran, uh, virtually. And like, I know that was all you, but, you know, I think that this kind of segues into this, this really important turning point in your life. Um, so during your, um, during your tenure as a teacher, um, you received a, di- a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I did. Um, so I was 27 years old. I had been teaching for about four years at the time. I, <clears throat> one night, and this is going to sound so strange and dramatic, but (laughs) I had gone through, I had gone through a breakup, an eight year breakup. I was with someone, I thought we were going to get married, whatever. So, you know, I I start meditating, I start journaling, I start doing all of the things (laughs) and, and it was wonderful. And one night I remember just asking the powers that be, um, just show me who I am, just show me who I am and who I'm supposed to be. And, Mm -hmm. um, I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but this it, do, is really it doesn't actually, it doesn't, I was, I'm only, I'm only reacting because I was definitely not thinking about that at 27. <laughs> like for me, right. it was like, I, this is who I am, yeah. you know? And, you know, I look back, I'm 46 now. I look back, I'm like, wow, I, <laughs> it's amazing. So I should have asked, I think, but, but go ahead. No, I love their dramatic, by the way, it works. So dramatic. Um, yeah. So I, I lay down to go to sleep. And I kind of sleep like a mummy. Like I, I wrap my arms in a hug. I cross okay. my legs, a very okay. like corpse-like. So <laughs> I go to I go to sleep and I felt a, a lump on my like ribs, like on the side. And oh, wow. you know, immediately I spring out of bed, I check it out, I start Googling like benign like lumps because I'm like, I'm 27 years old. Like there's literally, there's no way that there's anything. So I had an appointment with a doctor. I, you know, fast forward. So I (laughs) actually won't fast forward because this is no, don't. Yeah. Right. So, um, I go to the doctor and I'm like listing all of these ailments. I'm like, I have a sore throat. I have this and that. Oh, by the way, there's this lump. Can you check it out? And she's like, okay, yeah. I mean, you're 27, you're young, you're healthy. It's probably nothing, but let's get you, let's, let's get an ultrasound just to be sure. And I want to say that like, I was super privileged and lucky that I had a doctor 
who decided to help me out like that because there are so many young people and particularly women of color who they will have an issue, an ailment, they'll have um, pain and they won't be treated for their pain Um, in hospitals. There are studies, I can't quote them because I don't, (laughs) but they're out there. um, Yeah. yeah. No, this is, this is well known. Like we, we, we know the story of the um, well, okay. Let's say it's well known to some of us. (laughs) Right. Um, I remember the story at the, in the early stages of the, uh, of the COVID pandemic, that there was a a black woman doctor who went to the hospital saying, I think I have COVID. And they're like, no, you're fine. And she died of COVID. And so, yeah. And I, and I, I've just gathered over the years, you know, teaching is a woman dominated profession. There are more women, um, significantly, but this is something I heard a lot in staff lounges and casual conversation about women going to the doctor and, and just being kind of dismissed that mm-hmm. any ailment you feel is just in your head, you're overreacting, you're overly emotional about it, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're saying that you were really privileged to not have that be your experience. So privileged, yeah. you know, so lucky. Um, so my doctor was like, yeah, why don't you go get an ultrasound? So I go to the ultrasound. I am the youngest person in the room by 30 years, at wow. least. And I'm sitting there like, what am I doing here? I go in, the nurse is wonderful. And, but she says, okay, you're so young. You're going to be in and out. Um, the doctor, it's only going to be bad if they want to see a mammogram. But again, you're so young, nothing's going to happen. The doctor literally took the ultrasound wand, did two swipes and said, okay, order a mammogram. And I completely lost it. And um, wow. the nurse looked at me like, what is going on? And so, you know, I think I took a half day from work. Like I was not emotionally prepared for what was happening, you know? And, and I was there by myself because I didn't, I didn't know. So I get this mammogram done. And this is in Philly, just to be, this is in Philly. Okay. Yeah. My head is spinning. I get a, a thing back saying, you know, and, and, and doctors can't tell you really what it is until they're a hundred percent sure. Right. So they say, okay, now we're going to get a biopsy. (laughs) And I, again, don't know what this is. And I went by myself because I didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't, I didn't want to worry people. And I think you, I didn't want to see them worried. Uh, so I went alone um, I had that done and then, you know, I had to wait a couple of days for the results and, you know, everyone is trying to be really supportive and reassure me and it's not going to be anything, whatever. I, I, I had this feeling that it was, um, so I had just dismissed my kindergartners. <laughs> wow. Um, I actually, no, I got a call from the doctor right at dismissal. And I answered and I said, listen, I'm about to walk my class outside. um, So I need you to call me back in 20 minutes. And we're like, okay. So, you know, I'm, this is, this dismissal is a blur. Um, And uh, I go back. Longest 20 minutes ever, I would imagine. I, I go back into my classroom and I get the call and I'm alone in my room. And there's, you know, like, materials all over the place. Like there's so much to do. And my doctor who, the one who ordered the ultrasound originally, she's like, hi, um, I'm so sorry, but it, it came back and it's positive, um, for, for cancer, breast cancer. And I, I was in like a state of total shock. Like, I think when you get news like that, you you, you think, you know, how you would react and it's really interesting. So I, I was alone again in my classroom and I'm just kind of like wandering the room. I'm in the coat room. I'm, I'm all over the place. I start erasing my board and writing my objectives. I start just like, I called my, my team. I was really lucky that my kindergarten grade team and, um, our direct, I think, it was the director of operations. Um, they were, I was really close with all of them because we, you know, worked together for about four or five years, four years at the time. 
And they came in and they're just sitting there. No one knows what to say or do. I'm yeah. walking around, writing my objectives, organizing yeah. Yeah. my materials. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, can you, can you stop? And I was like, I can't, I actually can't stop. I have, I have to do this. Cause I don't yeah. know. I literally don't know what else to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I found out on a, um, a I think it might have been a Wednesday and I looked at my yeah. boss and I was like, I'm not going to be in for the, the rest of the week. And she's like, yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't suggest that you come in. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. No, um, and then it was just like, I was diagnosed May 28th and I had a bilateral mastectomy on July 11th. Wow. Um, Whew, quick, really quick. Yeah. Um, they, you know, I'm, it's so interesting the way that people try and keep your hopes up, um, yeah. look, you know, and they're like, yeah, it's, it's small. It'll be okay. It's, you know, you probably caught it early. I caught it early enough. Thank God. Yeah. Um, stage three a though. So I had lymph okay. node involvement. It, it, it wasn't early. Um, so I started, I had a bilateral mastectomy July 11th. I started chemo July 3rd. Um, June 11th, June July 11th. 3rd, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I did, I did eight rounds of chemo. I did, um, adriamycin, which they call the red dragon. It is disgusting. And then, um, AC, I forget what C stands for at this point. And then I did taxol and then I was HER2 positive. So I did Herceptin, um, for a wow. year. And I, I also did, um, 28 rounds of radiation and I did, uh, a vaccine trial, um, which I was really privileged and lucky to do the, the doctor who was doing that was at the university of Pennsylvania where I was being treated. Uh, so I got in there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Amazing. What a road, right? I mean, it's, yeah. And then coupled with surgeries and I've had like five reconstructive surgeries um it's been like intense yeah yeah it is really intense and i think this is something that you know folks if you and we'll include the link if you go to lauren's seed and spark page um you know you can get some good insight on on this journey so somewhere along the journey you Mm -hmm. leave teaching and Mm -hmm. you develop some you have some experiences that lead to those insights take us through those yeah. So I was, I went through treatment as a, as a teacher, I took time off for chemo. I had chemo done in the summer. I finished chemo in, I think it was like September 30th. And then I had a reconstructive surgery in November. And then I went back to teaching in December 1st but was also doing radiation simultaneously, which I don't recommend. No, Um, (laughs) No. but I, um, if, if you're, if you're privileged enough and have enough support and financially, emotionally, everything, take the time you need to heal. But I also was not, um, I felt like I didn't have a purpose, which is weird, but like my identity was so, um, enmeshed with teaching and like what I did. And so to have to, I remember having to take time off and they hired someone else to, to teach in my classroom. That was really hard for me. Yeah. I was like weirdly protective. Cause I just, I felt like, I felt like literally everything in my life was being taken away. Like my hair, my breasts, my independence my job like everything was just being taken and I was like fighting tooth and nail so I was like no I I have to go back now (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting because I think that this this profession and the society around it really does push us to over identify with our jobs right Mm -hmm. that that's who we are and Mm -hmm. um and and what you're describing of where you are but you were talking about this kind of loss of purpose um Mm -hmm. And it sounds like part of it had to do with the job, but it, it sounds like maybe there was more to that. Yeah. Um, 
I want to also say that this is my personal experience. I yeah, yeah, yeah. don't even, I'm not even trying to speak for anybody else yep. who has ever had anything. You know, yep. this is just me. And if you identify with certain things I'm saying, great. And if you had a different experience, I completely honor and respect that too. Definitely. Um, because everyone, we have different experiences. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I, I grew up, um, I'm a white cis hetero woman. Um, I grew up in a body that is societally accepted as like attractive, um, and, you know, have that privilege as well. Um, and a lot of my, the value that I felt as the person I, I am and how I look was based on how I look. Um, and you know, whether I was attractive to other people. Um, and so when I went through treatment, I looked like a completely different person. I gained, I think 30 or 40 pounds. I, um, lost my hair, you know, I, I law, I had body parts amputated. Um, I look completely different and I, and then I felt like my value was gone to other people. Like I was not attractive anymore. And so I was not worthy of love and attention, um, which no one out outwardly made me feel that way. Sure. Right. But when you're told your whole life, this is why you're important, or this is why you're, this is, this is why we like you. Yeah. <laughs> By society, I mean, we, right? And we know that society is heavily complementary of women's appearances and, totally. and these, and these qualities that, um, you know, they, they, they may be there, they may not be there later on yeah. and, and, or they, they just don't like their, their reaches maybe a point where society just changes its mind. Right. Yeah. 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 And, um, and at the time also like 27 people are starting to like get married usually, right? Like some of my friends were, were in relationships. I was not, I was single and I felt like, um, you know, I can't date. <laughs> I can't go out with my friends. I don't have a job. I don't have any, like I felt so lost mm -hmm. and that like my whole job was to go to the doctor and just, that was it. And so that's what I mean by like lack of purpose, I guess. Yeah. And yep. so during that time I rebelled and I, you know, and then I'm also being told like, I'm so strong. I'm so brave. I'm so this, I'm so that. And I didn't feel that at all. I was terrified. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it's very traumatic. Like yeah. when you're going through something like this for me, it was a huge trauma and a trauma that's just like, over and over and over again like well and even the treatment even the treatment yeah. is traumatic oh my god and it's invasive yes. and yeah, yeah so it's not it's not like i have this illness but i'm fighting it and you know it and and that feels good that it's right. it's like it's like you I, I envision it i don't know anything um i envision <laughs> it as these these two forces that are waging war on your mm -hmm. body yeah and exactly and like when I was, for me, the whole like strong fighter thing is just very problematic because yeah, talk about that. There is, what is the alternative? Mm. Like, what is it? Yeah. Like you were saying um, before we started that there's these mm -hmm. three things that you would hear that these would, words, mm -hmm. yeah, like strong, brave, fighting. Mm -hmm. And so on the opposite, like if you're not strong, you're Weak. You're weak. Yeah. If you're not brave, you're you are cowardly. Cowardly. You're and if you're not fighting, you're giving up, giving, giving in. Up. Sure. Right. And I and I felt like I didn't identify with those things necessarily. And maybe to other people, they were inspired by my resilience, which I can understand. Or just sure. that um, you know, you're you get help 
dealt a really crappy hand and you have to, you have to deal with it. Right. But I never felt that there was like a choice in anything. And, and, you know, and I'm not the, I'm not the first and I will certainly won't be the last person to feel like this. Like there are tons of of Instagram accounts and then people who speak up about this all of the time, like this woman, Trish underscore New York city on Mm -hmm. Instagram. She's, she's amazing. She talks about it. The cancer at the cancer patient on Instagram. Um, just like all of these things, but anyway, so, um, yeah, these are individuals who are, who are kind of just questioning this, this whole, this whole narrative, because, you know, these, these are the, and, you know, I, I appreciate what you said about how this is just your perspective. And so you're not, you're not saying people are wrong to feel strong and brave and to identify with these narratives. What you are saying is that, those did not feel like they fit you in, in your struggle. There there are alternative perspectives. And I think that those are also completely valid. Um, and so, yeah, so for me, I didn't, that I didn't identify like that. And it actually put a lot of pressure on me. I felt like I needed to then be strong for everyone else. I needed to be brave when I was in the doctor's office and I couldn't, crumble like you know um and that it felt very isolating for me because I felt like if I can't talk about how I'm really feeling I like I and I didn't I didn't I even looked back at my journals that I would keep and I had like four things that I made sure that I did every day even if it was so write have some sort of gratitude leave the house like get outside and and walk. And if it was one sentence, one thing I was grateful for, you know, what that was enough. Um, But I remember looking at my journals and they were so just like, I wasn't even being honest with myself. Like it was, it was wild. It was really You were were writing what you felt like you should be feeling. And you were, you were addressing it the way you were Mm -hmm. implicitly told that you should be addressing it and not in a way that was true to what you really felt. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and as a result, and this is, and I feel I have an immense amount of shame that I'm trying to overcome by telling this story, because Mm. if it's, if it's my story, I know that some people identify with this in some way. Um, because we're all, we're very similar people. Um, people are very similar. Um, and so for me, my way of coping was with this isolation and just trauma was drinking. Mm -hmm. And I was in active treatment and I started drinking and going out. And, um, I think part of it was I was punishing myself because I was so upset Hmm, with what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Like punishing my body. Yeah. It was, it was very, it's not as deep, very dark. Um, I would, I would, you know, I wanted so badly to not have this be my reality that I made an alternate reality where I wow. would go out and wear a wig and go out on dates because I just wanted to be a normal 27 year old woman. And I wasn't, and I was fighting this like hard. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Like I didn't tell my doctor how much I was drinking. Yep. Yep. I didn't tell my family, like, no one knew. And, um, I just, I didn't know what to do. So, I mean, that's like, and I, and I feel really bad about this because like, there are so many other people who get the same diagnosis and unfortunately don't have different outcomes than I do. And yeah. maybe they pass away. Right. Yeah. And I feel like this yeah. is a big F you to them. And it's not, mm. it's, um, that could have easily been me. Yeah. This was, this was the best that I could do. Yeah. Like how this was, was the best that I could do at the time. 
and I'm trying to forgive myself. Yeah. And also like, I think it's Brene Brown and other people say like shame loves a secret. And so, um, I think in just like owning that this is part of it. And I'm, you know, one of my friends who went through treatment as well, read my script and was like, or, or, you know, we talked and she was like, yeah, I, I mean, and this is kind of all disjointed, but like the, no, the not at all. Doesn't, actually. It doesn't actually, it actually promotes sorts of substance abuses like oh you can't sleep here's ambient oh you're you're um you're nervous here's adamant oh right. you need you have pain here's oxygen you're, an- you're anxious here's, here's zoloft here's this. Yeah. what i mean is that they're it's getting better now i think i was diagnosed in 2014 um but it was not a lot of like honestly tell me how you're feeling it was more of like oh you're this take this and wow. so I felt a lot of trap. And that, that's and that's kind of a that's that's as as you indicated, that's a lot of what um Western medicine does these days. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and so you know, it's and it's and it's awful to know that this yeah, and obviously I know that the medical field has become more introspective in some quarters, right? Sure. And so there's a hope that maybe this is changing a little bit, but even for cancer, we're not actually asking these important questions. Yeah. Yeah. At least that wasn't my experience. I'm sure right. Exactly. That was, yep. Right. Um, and, and I think the acts like the type of healthcare you have access to mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. Um, God. Makes oh my a really God. big difference. Yeah. I was, and I am a very, privileged person. And I know that, and I recognize that and it, I'm grateful for it, but I'm also very pissed Yeah, that not everyone else is. And it's yeah. like one of the greatest injustices of our country. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that we can't take care of everyone. We could, but we don't. So at some point along the line, uh, Lauren, as you, as you kind of, um, as you move through this journey, you decided to tell your story um, in the form of a film. Now, you had mentioned before that you have experience in improv theater and you've got this kind of like this performance background a little bit. What was it that moved you to say, you know, this pain, this anger, this shame, all of this stuff, this just needs to be a story. And I, I want to put this story out there. What was it that motivated you to do that? Um, yeah. So there was, there was probably like five years that I, I didn't tell anyone about this ever. If you would have told me then that I would be on a podcast or that I would be making a <laughs> film about this, I would have told you that you are insane. Yeah. Like, no, truly insane because I felt I felt a level of shame about it that was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but after like, I mean, therapy, groups, <laughs> um, talking with other people, processing, like it, t- it took me and I'm still processing. Um, sure. Like I, I still have PTSD about going to the doctor, but anyway. Cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I just and some of that you'll probably be processing that for the rest of your life, forever. right? Like it's, yeah. I just don't imagine that there's a point where you can move past it and say, well, that was a thing and it's over and now, yeah, yeah. And that, and I mean, that's actually another thing that they say is that survivorship is the one of the most difficult stages of cancer because when you're in active treatment, all the attention is on you, you're like laser right. focused on this thing, and then they kind of are just like, okay you're done. Okay. Good luck. And then you're just supposed to like go on with your life and you're like, wait, what? Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. You have any idea what just happened? Yeah. Um, Yeah. so after like truly years of, of processing and, and, and telling this story in groups and, and things like that, I, um, so after a couple of uh, years after treatment, I, I did decide to leave teaching. I was yep. just emotionally and physically unable to like keep up with the demands of the job and do the job that I wanted to do. 
for the kids for myself. So I started, I started working, um, remotely for a nonprofit. I was like super lucky that that had happened. And, um, then I started to explore other things of like, what do I like to do? And, you know, I don't, I think (laughs) I hate when people are like, like, well, what was the point? Like, what was the point of your diagnosis? Like, why did this happen? Whatever. What did you People ask you that? Oh my God. That's a wild yeah. question. It's, it is a wild question. And I'm like, sometimes things just suck. Um, <laughs> uh, but <Right. laughs> one of, one of the things that I, a, a new, a new layer to my, my thought process or whatever is that I was like, okay. Um, I, I kind of did feel like I had a second chance in a way. And so I was going to kind of, I have this like a great fear actually of losing time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I started doing improv classes and I, I just kind of now start doing things that scare me because I, I'm a weird adrenaline junkie in an emotional <laughs> sort of way <laughs> to test my edge. And so I started doing improv and I hated it. And then I fell in love with it. And then, yeah. um, you know, I was performing weekly on house team in Philadelphia for a while. And then the pandemic happened and, you know, I'm, I've always been a kind of person who's wanted to act and write and all of that, but I never Mm. gave myself permission. Mm. And then the pandemic happened. and I had the same kind of feeling of when I finished treatment, I was like, oh my God, like everything could go away so quickly I need I need to do this now I have to do it now and so I moved from Philadelphia to Los Angeles Mm -hmm. uh, on October of 2020 um yeah I I you know wrote this film um in March of 2021 I sat on it rewrote it sat on it rewrote it probably 15 to 20 times wow um yeah. And I just, it just feels like deeply something I have to do. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why, but I just, I do, I have to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's where yeah. we are. So the film is called, I can't protect you. It is called, I can't protect you. Yes. That's such a powerful title. Yeah. It's, um, it, 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 yeah. So it, it, the story is about a cancer patient who seeks solace in strangers and alcohol mm-hmm. instead of the people closest to her in this film. It's her sister she lives with. Okay. Um, and one fateful night, her two worlds collide and everything comes to the surface. Yeah. And I chose the title. I can't protect you because I felt like what I was doing as a person in treatment was I was protecting my family, my friends. They didn't ask to be protected too. Right, I want to preface right. that. They didn't yeah, ask yeah, for yeah. that. Yeah, but yeah. I felt this obligation that I can't like burden you with my feelings because they're yeah. so intense. Yeah. And that like, I can't take care of you because yeah. I have to, I could only survive. There's like this thing about trauma and rings on a tree. Mm. Um, and the person who is at the center ring can ask for support in any ring outside of the center. You can go outward, but you can't go in. So Mm. somebody on an inner ring cannot ask the person who's going through it for support. They can only ask for somebody who is more removed, right? Oh, interesting. That's an, yeah, okay. Yeah, um, I don't don't know if that would make sense, audio only. um, (laughs) Makes sense to me. Oh, it'll make sense. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Envision a tree ring. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, so I felt like I just couldn't, I couldn't protect my family. And that's what this character is struggling with as well. Um, of just like not knowing how to express, um, fear and despair and anxiety and and instead just isolating and doing their own thing. Yeah. 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 That's deep. And, um, so with, with the film, um, I I've gotten, um, the privilege of seeing some of the promotional posts 
Uh-huh. Um, I think you should not give up your dream of playing in the WNBA. I think I think you're good to go. <laughs> I think that's great. And and just in light of like the this like this risk taking in order to reach that that next level, like definitely the way you've you've gone out and done these challenges to get folks mm-hmm. to support the work has been amazing. Um, you're you're crowdfunding this piece. I am. I yeah. Am let's let's talk about that is- and how people can support it such a vulnerable thing. Um, and I'm so grateful for the outpouring of support. Like we're living in such an awfully intense time. Um, and there are so many, so many things going on. Um, and I, and I recognize so many other ways to contribute to the world. Um, and I feel, I, I almost didn't because I just feel like, is this selfish? Um, and I don't know. I think that when I was going through treatment, if I would have seen something like this, where a person is just fully a mess and, you know, cause I don't see that any cancer stuff that I see is like a love story and they find love and then they're okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And even if they're not, they're okay. (laughs) Exactly. Even if, even if they're not, they have this thing. Um, and that's not what this is. This is just truly just like a different perspective. And I thought that it might be helpful for other people. I think that it would have helped me. Uh, yeah. So I've been crowdfunding. Um, I am, I am like an improviser and a comedian. Uh, (laughs) so when I love to play and laugh and joke around, uh, this has been a heavy conversation, but like, yeah, I, um, we reached 50% and I bought a, a can of, of whipped cream and I went out <laughs> stood in my neighborhood and waited for the first person to come by. I didn't know who it was going to be. And I asked them to pie me in the face and amazing. it was my <laughs> lovely Swedish neighbor who was horrified that she was doing this. She was like, oh, are you man. sure? Are you sure? <laughs> um, so we had that one. I had my little cousins. I blindfolded myself and had my little cousins spray me with water guns at like whatever they wanted. So that was yep. fun. And then <laughs> I, um, I, I channeled Michael Scott energy from the office while playing basketball. Yes. yes that was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm so. pretty, I'm pretty sure there's uh carry like rules and all that kind of stuff, but it, oh, yeah. it, was, it was a sight to see, but that, but that's great because it, you know, along with the challenges, if I hit this, I'm going to do this and you're kind of moving there. So th- this is the part where I think, um, you know, we can really encourage audience to support this work. Um, so you've got to hit 80% of funding, by the end of this week. So this is dropping on Monday, uh, July 25th. And so yes. by the 29th, you've got to hit 80% funding. Yes. Um, and what happens at that point? So if I hit, if and when I hit 80%. Let's say um, when, let's say when. When I hit 80% yeah. um, of my funding goal. So my goal is uh, $15,810. Okay. Um, that is to pay for people to work like it's it's no bells and whistles it's really yeah. <laughs> like equipment yeah. for people who know how to use it uh yep. locations um special effects like makeup artists do a bald cap props food for the cast and crew yep. um that kind of stuff um very low very low budget making yeah. a film is like crazy expensive yeah no doubt crazy and um yeah so once i hit that if when we hit 80%, then the film gets the green light. So I get the funds to make it. Um, yeah. 80% is like $12,600. Okay. So it is, um, it covers most things, not everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it at least gets things. It, started. Oh yeah. We can, we can do it. Yeah. Um, ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and so then, where are you now? Where am I? We're actually at, 77% funded. Yo, y'all, y'all could help today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's really exciting and really humbling and it's, it feels incredible to be held by a community of people, some of yeah. whom I know and some of whom I don't. Um, right. And just like helping female led cinema is yeah. a huge thing. 
um, because there aren't a lot of women in this space. It's getting better. Um, yeah. certainly fewer women of color. And I have, yeah. um, women of color on my crew who are incredible, um, yeah. my producer and, uh, art department. And it's just like very cool to work with folks. Um, yeah. So it's not just it, like, and that's the thing is that this, this is, you know, as with so many creative endeavors, it's not just about the story that's being told. It's who's telling that story yeah. and who is contributing to the construction of the narrative and the construction of this, um, this window and this mirror. And I, and I think that what's so powerful about it is, um, is, you know, I think the optimistic side of myself thinks that we we're actually starting to value stories more Mm -hmm. Um, and that these stories give us ways to, um, develop empathy and to stand in solidarity and to support each other. And I think it's amazing. So, um, so let's, let's talk about where people can go in order to support this. And of course you hit 80%, that doesn't mean that's all you need. So people should actually continue to support this work because as we say, yeah, this, this (laughs) is a start. This does not get you across the finish line necessarily. Exactly. Like one of the things that's um, really needed that people don't think about, and I certainly didn't, was like sound design and and color correcting. So when you shoot something, when you film something, it is called raw footage. And so it doesn't look like the way it looks on TV. It looks like very muted. It looks kind of gray and weird. Mm. Um, You need a professional to go in and like make the colors like you know, Wes Anderson's films, um, yes. how they're stunning, yeah. stunning yeah. Uh, visually. Donner's a big fan. <laughs> yeah. And like there's color correction is incredible, right? Yeah. Like we're not going to be Wes Anderson, but, um, you know, just these other things that like I you don't think about. Yeah. yeah. So, But that make a big find, difference. Oh, a huge, huge difference. It's, yeah. it's like like amateur versus like professional so that's what it looks like and so um the plan for the film is to submit it to festivals to film festivals um you know i all all over the place um some in philadelphia los angeles portland like all over the place yeah um which would be really cool and it also it gives like actors directors um people who are not known, right? Like the, especially the film industry is such a gatekeeper. Like you need to wait, wait for someone to see you and bring you in. And I am so not about that life. I am so not about that life. I am like, you know what? There's a place for me here. And if you don't see it, I'm going to show you now. That's right. That's that's the point of this is to bring in people who aren't well known, who are really talented, great storytellers and great at what they do and be like, hey, look at what we made. Yeah. 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 Don't you want in? Um, Don't you want to see more things like this out there? Yeah, I do. Um, Yeah. So anyway, that and um. What else was the question? So where do people go to oh, support? <laughs> find me. Um, you can find me on Instagram. It's at can tell me nothing. C-A-N-T-E-L-L-M-E-N-U-F-F-I-N. That and is a great handle, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Nicki Minaj. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. The link is in my bio, uh, com. You can search, I can't protect you. Yeah. And that's seed and spark. And so we'll actually link, um, that specific, um, you know, link on this, on this episode. So you can look at that. You can also go to two dope teachers.com and you'll be able to find the link to support there. Um, I mean, I, I feel like saying congratulations just because I feel like, you know, the, the, the journey sounds like it's been so profound and so powerful and, and you've accepted it on its, on its terms and on your terms. And I think that's a really powerful thing. And I think we're going to, I think, I think you're going to get this thing funded. I think it's going to happen. And, uh, to dope nation, you can help with that. And, um, you know, if we get, if we get enough donors in Colorado, you come out here and do a, a festival. I don't know if the Colorado oh. film festivals scene is any of that, but you know, we're right in the middle of this. We're right in the middle of the country. So it kind of yeah. works. 
So, well, thank you so much for um, sharing this story. We want to end on um, on on a kind of light note. Uh, we, yeah. You know, we do a top five anything here. And so the way we kind of approach this is um, it can be whatever you want. Um, mm-hmm. It can be, it doesn't have to be hierarchical. We are a decolonizing force in the world. And okay. we know that hierarchies are Western and imperialist and settler colonialism. And, you know, maybe you just like five of the things. And this also doesn't have to be your permanent list. Like the, mm-hmm. the list can change. This can just be how you feel right now. So um, what is your top five? Okay. So um, I'm going to, can I do top five reasons why? Of course. Okay. Uh, So I started getting into the physical comedy of the clown space. Um, Just a little bit dipping my toe in, which is not like birthday clown. It's, it's different. Um, Natalie Palomides is an amazing clown performer. She has a a special on Netflix, which is wild. Um, So top five reasons I really like clown is that it's um it embraces the idiot (laughs) (laughs) love it um it's interactive with the audience yeah is it is from such a childlike place an emotional like place that is so funny um it can be silent or use words and it tells a story. Um, and so these are things I did not know about clown at all. Um, so weird and random, but yeah, yeah I mean, no, that <laughs> that's amazing. And I, th- I mean, I, and I think again, like disrupting shame, disrupting pain, disrupting anger with, with something as joyous and whimsical and silly. Uh, I think that's a really powerful thing. Love this top five. And I love how efficiently you were just like, one, two, three, four, five, here we are. That's where it is. Um, well, Lauren Cantel, thank you so much for sharing your story today. I know that these things are, um, no matter how many times you've processed it, no matter how many times you've just kind of let yourself be immersed in this work, it's never easy. And um, and we just really appreciate you coming on the show and, and talking about I Can't Protect You. Thank you so much for having me and for just like creating such a safe container. Um, I really appreciate it. And thank you folks for listening. Appreciate you. Yeah, and we will keep um, you posted on this. My name is Gerardo Munoz. Uh, Stay disruptive, everybody.